With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. So today, uh, as we record this, it is September 12th. Um, and the most important part of the news is that Terra Luna, which has tanked itself 17 times over, but over the weekend, somehow was up like 300% uh, for two or three days straight, is now c crashing back down to, it's down to $4, whatever that means. Um, and the reason I'm talking about, you know, Terra Luna, you know, classic or whatever in the world they're calling it now, is not because anybody cares about it, but it's just that's the cryptocurrency market is in that much chaos. Um, there is no leading driver. It's not Bitcoin. It's not Ethereum. There is nothing that's that's kind of leading the direction, leading the pack, and causing a, a bunch of retailers, uh, re retail buyers, uh, such as you know normal people, not institutions, to say, you know what, this is a great time to get into crypto. I believe it is a great great time to get into crypto, and we're going to talk to. to about that about that here in a second with easy crypto um, but but more so the the philosophy of you know Bitcoin's not really you know a, a hot commodity right now it's it's still hovering in the 20ish thousand stablecoin range as it's been doing for the last few months um, ethereum is I, I want to say literally two days away from the merge right now um, and it's one of those things. Do you buy on the rumor and sell on the news? Um, because right now it's 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 kind of fluctuating. It's hit about a two thousand dollar cap and, and dropping back down. And the reality is that that technically, I think the merge is going to be fine. Um, the, the chaos after of ETH POW, ETH Classic, ETH everything of the the kind of divulgence of of all these new protocols that are kind of splintering off of of ETH, I think, are causing some chaos in the market. Um, and and we hear every single day on Y Whales people confused about you know which is the normal ETH. And, and what should they be doing, and where? How do they connect their wallet? So I think that that's that's a PR thing from a decentralized standpoint. Um, but let's let's take a pause and let's let's jump back over to to the reason why we're here. And Janine, thank you so much for coming by. You are a fabulous uh, YWL member, and we really appreciate all the times you stop by. But let's kind of take a few steps back, and and you know, how did you get here today? From a um, kind of a, a, a an entire strategic plan plan of you know why would you even want to run your own exchange? I mean, playing on them is hard enough. I can't say it was entirely intentional and uh, a very fully thought out plan. It just sort of happened, but I can take you through a bit of that journey, Jay, and sort of tell you how I got here and um, yeah, how Easy Crypto started. So Please. my yeah, let's, let's start way before Easy Crypto. Yeah. We should start with how I got into cryptocurrency. Go for it. I love that. So it was, um, I think, 2014, and I was, you know, just fossicking around on the internet, reading things on forums, as you do, and came across this Bitcoin concept. So obviously, I was a little bit late to the party. I, you know, missed the first few years of Bitcoin, but found out about it in 2014. And it just made so much sense, right? Where, like, I was, you know, looking at what we have. We have the internet gives us this global village, a global communication system. Anywhere and anywhere in the world can communicate instantly, but we did not have that for payments. Payments are slow expensive, um, you know, not open to everyone. And so it made so much sense to have a global payment system that could sit alongside the global communication system we had with the internet. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Well, I should learn how this works. So I bought a couple of Bitcoin, not enough to make me a millionaire, sadly, but um, just enough to learn how it works, learn how wallets work. I think at that stage, you had to download the entire blockchain onto your Electrum wallet to be able to sync the network to get your Bitcoin. It was a bit more complicated. And um, I just sort of was like, this is awesome. This is going to be the next big thing. And then 2015, 2016, years went by and nothing happened. And then 2017 happened with the big hype cycle that we had there. And we had all these other altcoins springing up. We had sort of, you know, what I'd say, the first NFTs with CryptoKitties making big waves. Remember those days? And, oh, um, yeah. No, no. I, it was, it was if, if it had the word crypto in it, it was going to the moon. Like it absolutely. was just you could, anything you could think of. Might still be going to the moon, just give it a bit more time maybe. But um, anyway, at that stage I was working at um, Westpac, which is one of the, the largest banks in Australia and New Zealand. And 
people at Westpac knew that I had cryptocurrency, so I sort of had to become this overnight expert in everything to do with Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, because I was fielding all these questions about it. And I, I'm a very firm believer in the ability to become a, a subject matter expert in anything. If the subject is small enough and you have a little bit of time, you can you can be an expert in anything. So I became the local cryptocurrency expert in at Westpac and. Um, yeah, I, I ended up sort of talking to lots of people, giving a lot of presentations. People were really interested, and these presentations always finished with, how do I get involved? How do I get some Bitcoin? How do I get some cryptocurrency? And at that stage, it was very difficult in New Zealand. There weren't many local providers. The ones that were here in New Zealand were very expensive. We were paying rates of up to 15% above market rate, which for a fully digital product with no shipping costs seems, you know, very, uh, you know, that's just not on. So Seems very then, Australian. Exactly, where it's like small countries far into the world, you get price gouged for everything. Um, and then, you know, using international exchanges was really complex, time-consuming, international money remittances, etc. So um, my brother and I set out to solve that problem and to make a way that was really easy, simple for people to access cryptocurrencies and most importantly, to really be fair on, on pricing and um, make that accessible for everyone. Love that. So, you know, listen, the fact that you at least held on to your, your first Bitcoin is is significant uh, in and of itself. I, I bought 100 of them for $20 early in early 2010 um, and then threw them all away because, you know, where you at least had kind of had like, hey, there was there was some you know philosophy behind this. Back when I was into it, it was so early as a test. Like they, they even label it. This is just a test of mm-hmm. what a digital currency could look like. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it really resonates when you say like, you know, all of these years continue going by and they keep, you know, you keep hearing the people saying mainstream's right there. It's literally just, yeah. just, just keep going, just hold a little longer and mainstream's coming. And, and the amount of years that I've been in around here and the amount of years that I talk to people like yourselves that have been, you know, very, very early, 2014 is very early. You are an OG. Um, when you get that status, you know, the, the, but what's needed to have, you know, retailers is very different than what's needed to have institutions. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about a, a one to, th- you know, we made it up to $3 trillion market cap, and that's huge. $3 trillion is nothing to, to, to sneeze at. Um, but there's some banks that are larger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're literally, we're, we're kind of just dipping our toe into the world's financial system um, at, at this point and, and waiting for acceptance from, from the big players. Yeah, and it's an interesting one, that thing of like, you know, mainstream's just around the corner. I I think, you know, people have been saying that for a long time. You know, I did used to believe that back in 2014. I was like, oh, it's so obvious, everyone will adopt this thing. But back then it was so complex. And to be honest, as an industry, we haven't really solved a complexity issue. Um, complexity around, you know, the trade-offs between security and simplicity, that is something that really is still a challenge for the industry. And I think that in the future... I'm, this is probably going out on a limb and it might not be a popular view, but I'm not sure that cryptocurrencies will be what drives the mainstream adoption of this. I firmly believe that assets, you know, digital assets will go digital in the future, finance will go digital. But I think for mainstream adoption, this draw card, which you, you know, I expect you, definitely myself, a lot of us that are early adopters really believe in that draw card of owning your own funds and being in full control of your assets. I don't know how much of a draw card that is for the mainstream. And I think what mainstream need to drive this adoption is so much more the simplicity and the security. And that often comes with centralization. So I think as yeah. we see more central bank digital currencies come out, which they will do, we'll see more central digitization of things like stock exchanges and other types of traditional assets moving digital, but in a way that's centralized. And I think, you know, back to your point of the PR exercise for Ethereum, it's a really big PR exercise for the crypto community of how do we convince people of the value and necessity of holding your own assets alongside the utility and the you know, the safety and backup of having a call center that you can ring if, you know, uh, something goes wrong and you lose your password. So it's like those two things need to be able to coexist and people need to be comfortable to use both for different situations. And that's a big challenge, I think, to to get that understanding across. Yeah, I, I use an example a lot and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. I, I, I say a lot that Web3 is in its Napster phase. You know, it's proving that people have an interest in in digital, you know, ownership, digital assets, uh, digital currency. It's proving that this is like, hey, it's a thing. It can work, but but we're ignoring all the protocols that have been put in place for dec- for decades and decades and decades to provide consumers protection, to provide uh, you know anti theft, anti you know terror. You know, there's all these these things. You know, we 
in, in Web3, we hate to hear the word regulation, but not all regulation is bad. Some of it is actually, you know, put there for consumers uh, protection. So I, 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 a lot of it say like, it's a very, it's a great project right now. Um, but, but the actual legality and the ability for this thing to scale is, is still, um, I, I agree with you. It's going to take some really big players to step up and provide something that is dynamically easier to use than a traditional bank account. Um, yeah. That's not where we're at today. Um, and, as, as well as, as those safety protocols for when something does bad happen, that they can, they can get their assets back. You know, that there's not just like, oh, you're out of luck. And I think that piece on regulation is a really interesting and really important one. And, you know, we're seeing this increasing tension between the industry and regulators. And I think, you know, I, I, this is something I monitor very closely, like Easy Crypto operates in a number of jurisdictions around the world. And so we, you know, we're on the ground having to comply with local regulations in multiple different countries. So it's something that I sort of have this good view across what's happening in different countries and who is regulated and who's doing it well. And I see, you know, some countries are putting out, you know, Indonesia just announced this morning the, the crypto exchanger or BORS as it's called, which is a they're kind of taking traditional uh, market infrastructure, so like clearinghouse for a stock exchange, and trying to impose that on crypto. And it doesn't really work. Like that's not how cryptocurrency works, that you need to have a locally domiciled central clearinghouse for crypto settlements. Um, they've also got some interesting regulation around, you know, specifically which cryptocurrencies can be bought and sold in Indonesia. I think there's a list of around 200 that are legal. Everything else is not. Um, and so that's one extreme of regulators being very, very specific and sort of very... Um, yeah, detailed on what can and can't be done, as opposed to other jurisdictions like in New Zealand, the regulators take what's more of a um, principles-based approach than a prescriptive approach. And they say things like, hey, if it looks like a debt security, i.e. it has these types of attributes, then it should be treated in this way. Um, or if it, you know, if it looks like this type of thing, do that rather than being very specific and putting in place, you know, really detailed regulation that makes it impossible for innovation, to be honest. So having those broad-based principles process approaches to regulation that protects end consumers, which is ultimately what we should all be caring about, whilst at the same time not stifling innovation. I think that's a really important path to, to navigate for regulators. And, and I'm going to bet that, you know, Janine, you got into this because you just loved the, loved the concept of digital money. You love the concept of, of, you know, digital ownership and everything else online and, and how you could further humanity overall and bring banking to the unbanked and all these things. Did you think that you're going to get into this to be, you know, a, a, a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, per se, and have to have to read through all these regulations and, and track all these bills and all the chaos from around the world. Because while you're in Australia and in some other markets, you know, ever there's no like global, you know, Web three kind of voice of reason. You know, like, hey, here's how this technology works. Works you have in the in the United States and Canada and Mexico, within I mean, entirely varying you know thoughts on on the three uh, mm -hmm. from the three. It's interesting that you should say that, Jay, because I'll actually, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a, a slightly deeper dig into the Easy Crypto origin story, which was the real story of how Easy Crypto started. Um, so what I told you before was all true, except um, how it actually came about was my brother was fielding all of these requests to buy and sell cryptocurrency for his friends, also for myself, because I'm kind of lazy. And I was like, I know how to buy crypto myself on exchanges and I just can't be bothered. So I was like, Alan, can you buy me this? Can you buy me that? His friends were doing the same. Our family were doing the same. And he was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. So, you know, he's a lazy man at heart as well. So he decided to automate the process of buying cryptocurrency for his friends and family. So he built this automated tool for trading cryptocurrency, then built a sort of a, a you know, nice little website over the top of it, put it live on the internet. Strangers were giving him money to buy crypto for them. And then he called me up and he's like, oh, hey, is there any reason why I shouldn't be doing this? And I was like, Oh dear God, can you take that offline right now? And um, so that was December 2017 and I spent the Christmas holidays over December and January 2017, 2018, reading about 160 different pages of AML and financial market regulations um, to understand what we needed to comply with. Because at that stage, there was no guidance out there. There was no one saying, oh, if you're running a crypto business, you need to do X, Y, Z. It was very, it was a really complicated space to set up in. And I am not a lawyer, but again, you can become an overnight expert in anything if the subject matter is small enough, right? And so I am now an expert in AML regulation as it pertains to cryptocurrency businesses in New Zealand. So, 
You know, and, and that's a very similar story I hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. And, and, and even just today, like, you know, I, I, we hear about it all the time. And, you know, when, when Whales, when we went out, said, hey, we want to be a legal DAO. We want to have a legal yeah. DAO that has global perspective, you know, global reach. Um, we're willing to follow all the laws. We're willing to do all these things. Um, the number, I, I think I met with over a dozen securities lawyers. And I would say that, that, out of that dozen, 11 of them said, no, you can do this. It shouldn't touch all, all these things. You should absolutely do it. And by the way, we would love to represent you uh, and, and fight and fight this battle in court. I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. I don't want to go fight in court. I want to not go to court. How do I How do I comply, which is what we're doing today. You know, we're just going to comply as a, as a security for our DAO um, and go kind of above and beyond that, that perspective. And so I, I, I agree and applaud with you with, with how you did it. We go, look... Um, you know, you, you could just continue doing what you're doing and, and, you know, run the gamut. And there's plenty that, that still today run that gamut. But if you actually want to have a viable business in Web3, if you actually want to have an institution of your own that can grow over time, like what you guys have done and, and like what, you know, we at YWales hope to do, um, you got to have a legal foundation first and foremost. Because mm-hmm. um, if you launch on, on shaky grounds, you know, then it's really hard to ever escape that, that, that perspective. Yeah. And it's really challenging in, in multi-jurisdictions, right? I mean, for us, we're looking jurisdiction by jurisdiction and talking with regulators there. Yesterday, I met with the Malaysian Securities Commission who were trying to wrap their head around our business model because they've passed regulation that allows an exchange and we're a broker and they're just like, so how does it work and how do we, and just like, you know, regulators are trying, which is, which is great. They want to try to enable these innovations. But for, for someone like yourself, so you can set up your DAO, you can register it as a, um, you know, legally in a particular jurisdiction, but then what controls do you need to put in place for who can engage? Because you want your DAO to be open to everyone in the world, right? But you don't want to have to get that DAO regulated and endorsed by 190 different sovereign states. So how do you navigate that complexity? Yeah. Oh, listen, and we're, we're, we're every day we learn a little bit more. Um, but let's let's go ahead and, and jump right into Easy Crypto because we've we've kind of talked all the way around it, and we've actually talked a lot about you know what you're doing today. But let's let's hear the, the kind of the elevator pitch of of what you built and why. Um, I, I think we've heard now the, the I love the real version. Um, and uh, but but kind of how you manage your your client base today is really what I'm interested in. Yeah, so what we built is we wanted to build sort of like the easiest way for people get to get into and out of cryptocurrency. So we started there as a, you know, a fiat on an off ramp, a really simple way to buy crypto sort of like, and, you know, to, when we started, all of the cryptocurrency offerings were exchanges. So there was that sort of three-step model of pre-fund your account, trade, learn how an exchange and an order book works, which is very, you know, can be very complex and maybe isn't something people have dealt with before. And then your funds are at risk on the exchange until you withdraw them. Whereas we're like, we just want to make this easy. And for us, the easier model is more like um, an online store. So like a retail shop, right? You go to the shop, you say what product you want, you click buy, you pay for it, the products ship to you you know, nice and easy. So we've sort of always had this model of how do we make cryptocurrency for humans? So crypto for humans is our motto at Easy Crypto. And so we're always trying to think of the lens of instead of how to bring people into the world of crypto, how do we make crypto easy and accessible and like fit the the pre-existing understanding and mental models that people have that they're already engaging with? So we started solving this problem in New Zealand and we became the the largest player in New Zealand quite quickly. Um, And then we sort of thought, and, you know, to your point before, we looked at what we built and this was really a cryptocurrency, um, you know, on and off ramp business that could be lifted and shifted anywhere in the world. And we really wanted to be able to take this to countries, particularly more of the emerging markets and more of a southern hemisphere focus where we saw that there was immense opportunity for people from crypto assets and, you know, the financial betterment and um, equality of opportunity that they could bring and where a lot of those countries really weren't being well served by the the existing crypto players at the time. So that's really been our focus is, yeah, how do we take this where it's needed and how do we build it in a way that is really friendly and easy for people to understand and engage with? Yeah, and and I absolutely love that perspective. Is and and I think you have it right there in your name, easy. Um, because generally, I don't care what anyone says. There is no such thing easy about crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's very hard. It's very complex. Um, there's you know a variety of ways to do it. I think the only one that actually makes it easy um, from an easy perspective, but then you lose all all value and, and all ownership is you know kind of Robinhood. You're just 
buying almost on paper, the mm. fact that you may own this. There's no audit to say that you do. Um, you can't transfer it out. They say you may at some point, but you really can't. So the idea and concept of, of what you guys have built is absolutely fascinating that you're just helping people say, I want to acquire these coins. Um, I've, I've acquired them. Now I want to sell them. You're not getting into anything complex. Uh, you're not doing anything, anything you know, which is what most people you know, don't do. Nobody, um, the amount of wallets on the Ethereum blockchain today uh, that, that actually have one or more ETH is less than 1.5 million. Um, that's a that's a fraction of a number, and if you actually take that up to 0.1 ETH, I, I refer to this, these numbers all the time. 0.1 ETH, it's only about six million wallets. And when you take into kind of account that any active um, user of the Ethereum blockchain has more than mo- most likely more than one wallet, you know, it's a very small number of people that are actively using the chains versus just purchasing and holding the the uh, the tokens and the, or the coins. And mm-hmm. so I really, again, thinking about what you guys have done and why you've done it, um, you are giving quite a bit of exposure. And I'm sure that you've got a roadmap in there as well to kind of help people understand, you know, what they bought and why um, as well. Yeah, and education is a really core part of it. Like for us, the, the sort of three pillars that we have as a company is um, ease, ethics, and education. And so, you know, obviously easy, it's in the name. It's, you know, that is our founding principle is making it easy for people to get involved. Um, we also want to be the most ethical player in crypto. And that's something that's just really non-negotiable for us. And, you know, like we've talked about quite a bit, understanding regulation complying as part of that is also um, doing right by our customers and ensuring that we're really transparent, that we're not, you know, I've, I've learned so much since starting a business, things like um, dark patterns and websites. I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this stuff before, but you see the things that's out there and it's like, we really, you know, we steer clear of all that kind of stuff and we really just want to be a really good, transparent and ethical operator. And then lastly, education, like that is so important in this space. And it's a really interesting one. Um, you know, we have quite a lot of tensions internally between our very maxi um, staff and our sort of quite, you know, newer to crypto staff. And what we want to offer to people is the ability to go as far down that rabbit hole as they want with good support, education, you know, unbiased guidance the whole way Um, or if they just want to stay at the top and kind of just you know peer into the rabbit hole and not get involved in it you know that's fine too and like whatever however deep you want to go in that journey we want to be giving the education and support that lets people make good decisions and you know good financial choices. No, I, I love that. And and you guys are in a, a few continents. And, you know, I'd love to know, like, kind of, because you're um, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Brazil. Yeah. What's, the, what's this, what's similar to all those? Because they're not quite all in the same neighborhood. No, they're not. Um, New Zealand and Australia, we're very close cousins. And, you know, that was an obvious um, leap. Um, South Africa, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia actually have quite a nice little trifecta of we're all, um, you know, ex-British colonies. We have, um, there's a lot of migration between those um, similar language and in some respects, similar cultures. Um, But really our, our mission, like once we launched New Zealand and then Australia, we were really very passionate on expanding out into the Southern Hemisphere, focus on um, Africa, South America, and Southeast Asia. So we're looking at, you know, from our hub in South Africa, we'll be looking to expand further into Africa um, next year. We've also been sort of working to get licenses in a number of countries across Southeast Asia. And so that's something on the future roadmap as well. Um, again, that tension between, you know, how, how can we expand um, and help most people we can whilst also navigating all the complexities of regulation? And we're looking at potentially some options around, you know, can we expand our service using the tools we have into more countries without having to take this very um, slow country by country approach to the the regulatory environments. And so that's something that we're sort of looking into at the moment as well. But yeah, we really are passionate about sort of the, the bottom half of the world where we come from. And there's a lot of people down here and um, a lot of opportunity and a, a lot of, um, I think, places where traditional financial systems have left people behind. Um, and there, you know, I really do see cryptocurrency as a great equalizer in that. I mean, the fact that with, with DeFi, right, you can lend as little you know if you've only got one dollar you can lend that dollar you can start making interest on it immediately you can withdraw that dollar straight away with no you know um uh, penalties or anything like that like that is amazing whereas previously particularly with wealth tools if you didn't already have wealth you were locked out of wealth creation tools and so the opportunity for this equalizing is yeah so important and that's what really drives me 
Well, let's let's kind of continue down the path and talk a little bit about DeFi. I think that's you know DeFi decentralized finance is really only a few years old. Um, you know the protocols, you know the big ones are you know I, I would say still infants at, at, at their best. Um, no matter how many billions of dollars they've moved through them, it's it's a fraction per day. Yeah, uh, but even of, that, like know, billions what, what, is tiny, right? Like you were saying before, oh, yeah. three trillion in crypto is still nothing. So it's like we've got yeah. such a long way to go still. Yeah, we're, we're so early and there, there's so much going on and there's so many problems. But when you think about DeFi and, and kind of that idea of banking the unbanked, and let's let's be clear, I, I think that the cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain technology is going to come to second and third world countries before it really comes to first world countries. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be so ingrained that by the time the, the first world countries kind of adopt it, the maturity level of these protocols will, will relatively be sorted out. And we're seeing a lot of that with like the Lightning Network and, and places around the world. But to, to circle around, you know, with with DeFi, what what's the thing that has you kind of most excited about the prospects of the future of the, of, of where that's going to go? To be honest, the thing that excites me the most is what we don't know, which is you know, like um, you would have seen it before. Um, the you know the parallels between the internet and cryptocurrency are, are pretty old, and there's this great video. I'm not sure if you've seen it of um, Bill Gates talking to David Letterman in I think mm -hmm. it was like the late '90s. Yeah, you know that one. And he like he just cannot articulate what the internet's going to be able to do for us. Like everything he says, Letterman's just like, well, you know. He's like, oh, you I, can I've listen a to a baseball I've game. Well, a we've newspaper. got radio. Yeah. You can read a story. Well, we've got magazines. So it's like, I do feel like we're in that stage where I'm like, okay, programmable, peer-to-peer, 24-7, micro, you know, money. Like, this is what, what cryptocurrency is giving us. And, and, you know, DeFi is an extension of that. What can we do with that? I'm like, we don't even know yet. And that's what really excites me is how this stuff is evolving and emerging. But, you know, I genuinely believe that we will see all traditional, you know, financial markets and traditional financial products, there will be digital equivalents of them. They'll probably eventually be replaced and, you know, fully digitized. But it's the new stuff, like the stuff that we never thought of doing with the old paradigm because we couldn't. That's the stuff that I think will be, you know, really amazing. And, um, yeah, I don't even know what that looks like. But I'm, like, on the edge of my seat going, what's what's been built? What's coming out? And I love, you know, following people like you who are in, you know, the rest of the YWALS community where it's like you can find out, you know, where is where are people engaging, where's attention going, what's been innovated in, and ultimately for me the, the big question mark is what can I bring and offer to my customers and make their lives better with this, so... Yeah, no, I love I love that answer, and, and and you know, for for everyone kind of listening to give you know some color to what Janine's saying is you know think think about the the initial ICO boom, you know, uh, initial coin offering. It was people were so excited that you could make a coin, you could make a protocol that just bind them for whatever reason there was. And we've seen that happen again with NFTs. Just the fact you could put an NFT on chain, people will go, oh my God, you're right. It's worth $10,000 for that randomly generated JPEG because there's only 10,000 others. And, and, you know, it's just the, the concepts were, were so early that we have people, you know, truly fighting over in a lot of cases, an actual JPEG. Like there, no, there was not anything else behind there. Um, there are a lot that, that do have some amazing technology behind them. And there are a lot of communities that did some some things, but I'd say a lot of the garbage that we used to see was somebody literally saying, "Well, no, it's just going to have value because it's going to have value, and it's it's backed by hopes and dreams." Um, that's generally not a good business model. I don't I don't approve of that. Hopes and dreams are fabulous um, for for uh, you know if you want to get a, a pony for your birthday party, uh, but if you want to have a business thesis, you should have revenue, you should have KPIs, and, and all sorts of you know maybe a client base as well. Um, so so I agree with you from from a perspective that. The smart contracts that we're going to see, you know, over the next ten years are going to be a thousand times more complicated, mm -hmm. a thousand and times more in depth, and and also a lot safer to use. They're they're going to encompass um, entire businesses will be run off of smart contracts. I, I believe that legal um, legal contracts, meaning the fact that you've entered into a legally binding uh, deal to to buy or sell something, as well as you know you you're being sued, and this is how your uh, your divorce will be will be a smart contract. Um, so all those types of things have the ability to get there, but we're so early that people. People are still understanding how should we build the protocol? Um, what, what should what should even be in this protocol? And I think also the the issue that we have been quite early, like when you talk about smart contracts in the future, will be you know infinitely more complex. I'm like yes, but that's also quite scary because the complexity brings um, you know challenge for how secure are these things, how battle tested are they, and that's the stage that we're still in at the moment, right? Where it is quite. Um, 
it's a little bit concerning to use smart contracts because there haven't been, you know, there's not that many of them or DeFi protocols that have really been battle tested around what, how do they act when they get to the extremes? How um, secure are the contracts? How, you know, how long have they been out there in an open source environment where people can try to attack them? And yeah, how much can you trust those? Oh, you're fine. And, 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 you know, Let's be completely clear. Most of these are not secure. Most of these, most of this code is has not been audited, um, and and if it has been audited, it's been audited by internal teams, not external teams. So, so I think that there's, you know, from a re- from a regulation standpoint, you know, Janine, you run something that looks looks, sounds, and smells very similar to a bank. I'm sure you guys are constantly, you know, have auditors that are in around you guys. And I absolutely believe that if you are, uh, you know, a DeFi protocol, you're a bridge, you're should, you're kind of anything else, you should be audited, you know. Automatically by third-party protocols to let you know where you are. Um, you know, Trailbits is is fabulous. Uh, Zokio is is another one. There's 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 multiple really good. Um, you know, auditors in the space for web through contracts. Uh, I don't know where Zokio is today on their their backlog, but I know Trail of Bits is out over a year, um, that's and that's right. a problem with that's just a good how business young. to get into if uh, you have the skills because the demand is only going to increase massively. It's but only going to increase massively. That kind of like really simple transparency for the end user, right? Like you know, at the moment you have audits of you know if you're buying bonds, you know you've got audits of this is an A plus, this is a triple B, like that kind of just simple, easy to understand for the end user visibility on how much can I trust this thing, how much risk am I taking? Because you know, I'm 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 a firm believer in you know free market economics, and people should be allowed to enter into risky transactions or to enter into transactions that you know like venture capital, for example, right? Like, you know, you're allowed to go out on a punt and invest, but in opening those things up to retail customers isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, we've probably been too conservative in our financial markets approach where retail customers is like, oh no, you can only do these things over here because we can't trust you to do this stuff. Maybe we can give people a bit more agency and autonomy with what they do with their money, but as long as it comes with that transparency and that education of, you know, to enable them to make good decisions. Yeah, and, and and I'm unfortunately going to go back to a point you you said earlier, and I say unfortunately because there's just a large portion of the people in 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 crypto and Web three right now are against regulations and, and kind of centralization. Um, and 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 I argue that without some form of central agency, um, and by central agency it doesn't mean that they have to be sitting in an office together. You can be a decentralized team. But, but unless you have a team of, of people that know them know each other, uh, they have a clear mission, vision, values, and they have clear roles and responsibilities, you're, you're dealing with chaos. And that's what we've seen today. Um, and so I, I do believe that you need to have some somebody show up. And it can be run by a DAO. It can, it can have transparency as far as what they're doing and how they're doing. Um, I don't agree with you know the, federal, the Fed or anything else. So I, I, I think that there should be a transparent, centralized agency that's really kind of putting the, their their thoughts, uh, processes, and procedures at, at the consumer's behest and a little bit less at the protocol hest. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously I run a centralized business in for decentralized assets, which is a little bit of a an oxymoron potentially, but I do think there is space for centralized and decentralized. I don't think we, they both have their pros and cons, and I am very, very much a fan of decentralized. Like, you know, personally, I'm all about it. I hold all my crypto myself. I don't use centralized services, but at the same time, for a lot of people, they add a lot of value. And I think we should be happy to have both and also happy to have regulation appropriately in a way that protects customers whilst also enabling innovation. I mean, I think that's the key thing really. Like we don't, crypto's had a bad rap for being the wild west, right? And it was the wild west because there was so much bad actors going on because there wasn't regulation. It's like, I think as an industry, we probably want to move beyond that. We probably want to be more, um, you know, legitimized, more a, a safer environment for people to come and engage with and a safer environment to run businesses and, you know, that does require some regulation. Um, so, you know, w- w- these things don't have to be polar opposites. We can have decentralization and a bit of regulation and innovation and, you know, all of this stuff kind of working in a balance. So, Janine, I'm going to ask you this question because there's been a number of these groups that have popped up. And and generally what it is, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying, it's 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 half of the group will be some, some you know, insanely wealthy crypto OGs that have done insanely well uh, for themselves. They're incredibly wealthy at this point. Their, their protocol is um, either, either still alive or dead, but it doesn't matter because they've got the cash in the bank. And then you combine that with, you know, uh, the other half is just a bunch of trad five people that are saying, hey, we're, we're, we understand 
understand the, the way things are today. And, and what I find is you have an entire group of now people that have no motivation whatsoever to move the protocol forward. Um, you know, the, it's a lot of very self-serving conversations. Uh, the regulation ends up being very centralized. And so my question to you is, is what does a group that could properly re- could properly represent you know, the blockchain world to the world, what would that even made, be made up of? What would it look like? Would it be a DAO? Would it be a traditional mm-hmm. company? What, what do you think? It's a very interesting one. Um, I mean, I think you definitely need people who are at the coalface and at the front line actually seeing the impacts of, you know, if we're talking about, you know, advocating for what regulation should look like, you cannot do that without the actual, you know, impact in the industry, the frontline people. Um, so those who are running decentralized protocols, those who are running centralized protocols as well, because this will affect them in different ways. Um, and I think, to be honest, you need the regulators as well to be involved to make these conversations work, because if regulators are buying into you know, and I've had, I, I talk to a lot of regulators, it's just kind of part of parcel of what I do. And for the most part, I think it is really important to get FaceTime with, for the regulators because they sort of have this perception that crypto is a sketchy, crazy place. And you sit down in front of them and you're a real person that's running a legitimate business that wants to be a good corporate citizen and suddenly makes it less scary and they can see that, you know, there's value in working together. Yeah, I don't know if that totally answers the question because it's not one I've really given a lot of, you know. I, no, no, this is this is what I like to do. I like to surprise the guests with random high-level thinking conversations. And, and there's no right answer to it. I mean, the, 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 and that's the problem is there's no definitive, here's how we fix this communication mm. problem. Here's how we fix the FUD problem. Here's how we fix the regulation issue because um, we're so early and the space is evolving so much that, that someone who made, you know, even a billion dollars three years ago like if they're not still current in the space, they have no idea what's going on today. Like that's yeah. congratulations, you 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 did great and you exited, but but the players today are entirely different. Uh, and the than, problems than they the face are entirely different. Here. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, not, literally, that now we've got this massive thing of proof of work versus proof of stake. Um, you know, there's there's people arguing on both sides of 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 you know which is better for the the environment, and you know you got people that are some very passionate ones of which I do believe them that mm-hmm. proof of work actually does facilitate the largest investment in alternative energy of any um, other asset class on the planet. Um, and by eliminating, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum proof of proof of work, uh, or you know, or at least Ethereum proof of work, and now they're challenging uh, Bitcoin's proof of work, you're actually giving up, you know, probably some of the largest investors in solar and alternative energy on the planet um, because miners need it to be free. They need it to be cost effective. And, uh, and forget the people doing it at home. Don't know anyone that does that. Um, uh, you know, the the, the professionals, um, you know, the the big publicly traded companies. I mean, that is top of their mind, and they are yeah. they are absolutely on uh, the efficiency meters every single day and that's the thing right it's like that you know you get all of this bad media publicity and tension around the energy usage as this big headline number with completely missing the point of that transparency and the transparency is phenomenal because it can drive user choice it can drive consumer behavior but also it drives innovation in the you know those actually um, using the energy and sort of running the businesses that are consuming this and that innovation is phenomenal like you say like a lot of the big advances in, in um, renewables have come out of that space so yeah it's it's a it's a tough one when we're up against headlines and again like we talked about before so much comes back to PR and I think this is one of the biggest challenges of crypto as a whole is like we don't have this big PR community because we're just this decentralized group of people doing cool stuff and really believing in what we do but PR actually makes a really big impact so what what's the kind of the the top thing that you have to educate people on? We education's such a big deal, and I'm sure that you deal with your own misconceptions every single day, um, in, in your perspective. But what's kind of that number one? Like, if you could just solve one problem and never have to answer this question again, what would it be? The thing that I would most love to solve is. Um, protecting people from scams like this is something because we deal with retail customers we're at this sort of the very front lines of what it looks like for people to be caught in scams um and there's so many crypto scams out there it's such a fertile ground for people i guess because it's this area where people think you can get rich quick but they also know very little about how it actually works put those two things together and that's a scammers um you know uh dream and so i think giving people the tools to think critically about a project that, you know, for those of us who are in the crypto space, you know, we're sort of probably used to some of these things around, you know, look at a white paper, look at the team, look at what's really happening under the hood, look at the tokenomics, like, you know, that kind of level of due diligence, you know, that's great. Some we will still get caught out in scams every now and then, but, you know, hopefully we've got a bit of savviness around that. But for people completely new to cryptocurrency, um, it is just 
this 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 massively complicated space and the ability to sift through what is legitimate and what isn't is really complex. And so being able to give people and like back what we talked about before, this is an area that maybe a little bit more regulation could help in with a bit of that audited history of, is this a project that is, you know, legitimate? Does it have any sort of third party endorsing it? And what does that look like? And just giving people a bit of that, those tools to make good decisions without having to spend hours doing the research themselves. Cause not everyone will do that. Let's be honest. And, and 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 even I will say this: even some of the most uh, advanced users and traders that I know, people that I look up to, and and reach out to when I can't figure something out, and there's many times that it happens. You do enough DeFi, you know, bouncing around protocol swaps. At some point, you go, I have no idea where this where that money went, and yeah. then you got to go back and track it down. So there's there's that's not a that's not a scam. That's just the overall complexity of it. But I've seen some of these people that are insanely smart, insanely well versed, been in the space for years. Um, and and come out and just raise their hand and go, hey guys, here's how I got scammed this week, and I just want you all to know why. And you hear about it, and and sometimes it's incredibly complex, and other mm. times it's just, you know, you, you've done that same transaction a hundred times. Something may have looked a little different in retrospect now that you're thinking about it, but you know, it, it's it's just too easy. It's just too yeah. easy for scammers right now. Um, and and that's not the way it should be. And the other side of this that I'll that I'll argue, um, you know, you guys, you originally said. Not you guys. You you originally said you know hey you looked at this as a way to make a, a, a change in the payment rails uh, over Swift and and some of these other ones and no one ever said you know hey I'm paying Visa you know like one and a half percent it'd be great if I could raise that to like five or six percent um, and make it more complicated that would work out better so <laughs> you know, we're far away from solving that problem too. Yeah. Yeah, and what you said before around the examples of people who are really, you know, expert in the space getting scammed and saying this is how it happened. Like, I have such mad respect for people that go out there and put that story out because it is so important to, A, raise awareness, um, B, sort of remove the stigma around it because, you know, that helps us fight back against scammers by educating what tools they use but also by just realizing that can happen to anyone because that really helps. Like, you know, I'm always on my toes, but at the same time I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to happen to me someday. Something's going to go wrong. And like you say, you're just like, and, and this, going back to what we talked about earlier, this is why the industry is not yet ready for mainstream. Like, you can't have, and perhaps decentralization never will be able to go mainstream for reasons like this, is that a lot of people value security and safety of their money over sovereignty of um, holding their assets. And that's just a trade-off that unless we can actually solve for that, we're never going to see full decentralization. There will always be a space for centralized players because of that third-party safety and security, which comes with challenges such as what if I can't get access to my funds because they're being held by a third party who won't release them and as a third party who you know people's funds go through us and I try to protect my customers from scams that's a really challenging balancing act of how do I know if I should release these funds because this person's genuinely you know the right recipient or you know what if they're in a scam and that's a really hard um, you know space to navigate and something that if I could wave a magic wand and make scams go away that would be yeah life mission done. Yeah, listen. It's been going on since the, the since the first uh, commercial trade, you know, at the beginning of time. Uh, oh, it's been going on since Eden, but it's you know, it's same old stuff, just different tools and different labels, right? But yeah. But but I but I really like the, what you're saying here, and I think that it's worth kind of taking a second and unpacking. There's room for both centralized and decentralized in the same asset class. Um, there, there is people that that like yourself are probably totally fine with self custody. Same, same as you know, you you may go to your bank and say, I just want to hold cash under my mattress. I can put it in my safe. I feel just fine having my life savings. You know, it, it, at home with myself. I don't trust you. I don't want to get into it. Um, and and that's entirely fine. That's your right. But a majority of people go. You know what? I, I don't mind paying the fee to the bank um, because if I ever have a problem, I can call them. I can walk in the door. They're there. They 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 know me. They understand that there's a process of which that I can lock and unlock my funds. Um, and and I would argue that that's probably what ninety plus percent of the world wants. They they do want um, someone that that's their main job. That's their main focus. That's their main thought. The core concept of decentralized and you know self ownership, self self custody. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It happens today in in, in the in the tradfi world as it is. It's just on a smaller and different scale. But I, I think that there's room for both. Absolutely, and I think this is where I probably butt heads a little bit with maximalists. But you know, you've got this idealistic world, and I like totally understand the idealism. And like you know, we've talked about. I personally like to hold my own crypto. I think that's awesome. Like I'm fully on board with the principles behind it. But the world isn't 
doesn't align with ideals. The world aligns with reality and reality is, like you say, 90% of people don't want that and they probably never will care about it. And all the education in the world around, you know, the great fundamentals and principles and, you know, the whys behind this won't compete with just don't make me think. I mean, that's really the guiding principle of, of um, a lot of very successful development at the moment is to ha- make things for people they don't have to think because there's a lot of cognitive load. There's a lot of work going on for people in their everyday lives. We don't have to make, you know, finance hard for them as well. Just make it easy and easy is typically not self-custody. Yeah. And, and, and I would say that if the number of people actually understood how the world's banking system on the SWIFT you know, protocol worked, they'd be horrified. The entire thing is built, you know, quite simply to manage collecting taxes um, and to make sure that at every step of the way as you transfer domestically, internationally, or, or vice versa, that that all the taxing uh, entities can can see exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, and be able to audit, stop, or, or kind of uh, get involved in those transactions. And so I think that there's a lot of reasons. In fact, there's, there's, there's more reasons to move into a blockchain world that it's auditable. Um, that you can see what what's there, you can see you know how your governments are, are spending their money. Like all that should be transparent. So I completely believe in a transparent world. Um, decentralization. I think there's a rush to it. It's a it's a beautiful concept. It's just going to be very hard to attain in the in the short to medium term. Um, long term, meaning like ten plus years out after we have the infrastructure built, everything's working, and you have uh, multiple generations. You know, you've got a, a couple billion people that have been onboarded into into kind of Web three blockchain. Technologies that that's where people will suddenly be like, you know what? I, I don't I don't need you anyone else to to hold these custody of these things. The, the technology has evolved, the products have have evolved, and and remember, this is just Web one all over again. Um, you know the the core concept that you know early on, the majority of people had to go to school, work, or um, you know the library to to use email, like mm-hmm. Cyber Monday, which still is a thing today is called Cyber Monday because there were so many people that did not have a computer at home that they quite simply said, well, we have Black Friday, but everyone's off work for shopping. We need to wait till Monday when people are back in the office and then they can use their work computer or school computer to shop online. Like that's that's still a thing. Wow, that's awesome. Um, one thing that I think is really important to touch on on what you just said around the transparency is the flip side of that is privacy. And I think this is something that is another really big tension with regulation and centralization and something that as an industry, I think we do need to care very, very deeply about and be very, very engaged with how the space is evolving because the potential for, yeah, Transparency on a blockchain is amazing, but privacy needs to be a fundamental of how these things are built. You know, even if you have nothing to hide, you should still very, very deeply care about privacy, particularly when it comes to your finances. And I think as as the space evolves, it is, I think, inevitable that digital identity becomes linked in with wallets and linked in with um, blockchain transactions. And that just makes it even more important that we get on top of and out in front of how we manage privacy um, before that happens and before we have sort of our whole lives all kind of neatly packaged into this digital space. And, you know, what you said about the SWIFT network, imagine that on, on blockchain with your identity, your transactions, everything you do in your life in one very transparent and, and auditable place. So, yeah, very important call, I think, for, for all of us to get involved in that space. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a huge evolution because it will never happen, never happen on Ethereum. It was never designed for it. It was never, you know, it was always everything's transparent. And I think that people, you know, right now we're still playing a game on here. There's there's very few people that live their lives on chain. Um, and, and the concept that your employer can see your your bank accounts and see ev- all your own. And if, you're, and if your employer is paying you, you go, oh my God, why am I going to give Jay any more money? Like, you see how much cash he's got in his bank account? Like that's that's a thing you never want to have. Vice versa, you're, you're, you buy a hot dog, uh, from the hot dog stand, you don't want you don't want that company to go. Oh crap! We could absolutely upcharge this guy. Look at what's in here, and look at everything else. Um, yeah, or you get mugged by someone, you know, watching your transaction at the hot dog stand. Like, yeah, it's and, and yeah. that's exactly it. So you know, the one that I really like, and we get to talk to a bunch of you know level one, level two, and level zeros. Uh, Manta Network, I think, has a really interesting concept that, that they do. And Manta Network, um, it, it's it is you have your your public key, you have a private key, and then you have an auditor key. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting concept. And one all it does is, you know, every time you make a transaction on the Manta network, and it's 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 an ETH, um, it, it's very much ETH based. It, it, it's not ETH based. I'm sorry. It's it's like ETH um, from from that transaction standpoint. But the idea and concept around what it is is it just shows that Jay made a transaction. 
doesn't say how much, doesn't say to where, doesn't say to who. And on your side, it would it would say that you had a receiving transaction. Here, it doesn't say how much. Like there's there's no kind of connection between the two. However, if someone you have a, a taxable uh, regulatory or an auditor, then you can say, hey, I, you need to t- see how many of these transactions. Well, here you can see the month of this, and here's an auditor key good for five days. You can go ahead and see all the stuff there. So it gives that transparency when needed. But as far as you as a protocol level, you just see that you've done business. You don't know with who. It doesn't matter. And it's that you know those aren't your clients unless they tell you they're your clients. And so I, I kind of you're starting to see the inklings of people going a little bit beyond kind of the open blockchain of it's all just public because there's need there is needs for privacy. Mm, absolutely. And I think protocols like that, like that's an amazing way to solve for that. And I think we also, you know, we'll see evolution in the solutions that sit on, on top as well. Like, you know, the tornado cash type mixing solutions, like there are ways to solve for those that do not breach sanctions or at least enable, you know, have a free and open source platform and like probably you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of can you really sanction code or should you? Like that's a whole other question. But there are ways to solve for this that enables people to prove that their transactions were legitimate without showing the source or origin of their funds. Because that's really what you're looking for, right? Is to be able to obscure your source of funds whilst at the same time being able to authenticate, you know, zero knowledge proof that yes, you are acting legitimately should that be needed to be proved to anyone. Yeah. And, and, and with any new technology, there is a host of problems that come up that, that have long since been solved in the traditional world. Like if you're, if you have a bank account and, and somebody from the OFAC list tries to wire money into your account, like the banks are going to stop that. They're going to call you and go, Hey, there's, there's a very bad person trying to send you money. Is there a reason why? I have no idea who this person is. You go from the there, but, it, but there's been a stopgap that prevented mm-hmm. that from happening. Um, we saw the dusting of tornado cash and I thought it was entirely, um, hilarious from a certain standpoint that you're just essentially doxing wallets with tiny amounts of ETH or, or USTC that are now blocked from an entire protocol. And so, like you said, we can go into that for an entire show in and of itself. And we'd love to have you on for that. Um, it's a fascinating this is concept the point though, right? Like, because you get all these eardrops, like, I don't know if you look at your ETH wallets and see all like the oh God, shit that's just coming to them. Um, but there was also that case recently of a um, court order that was served via airdrop to a wallet that had received stolen funds. And so like the idea of, you know, will we be seeing protocols in the future that can refuse incoming transactions for that reason to not get doxxed or not have um, dust attacks or other things? But also what does that mean for, yeah, you know, to, to be able to accept or refuse airdrops would be fascinating because they're also a massive tax issue as well in terms of do you have to pay tax on something that you were given against your will that you didn't want and you might not realize the value of like, yeah, so much complexities in the space. And like you say, a lot of these things have been sold for in the traditional world. And then we just have this crazy new blockchain world that does it a bit differently. And we, we just need to work through how those, um, yeah, how those things are managed. I, I remember email before spam filters. It was not fun. And, uh, and when, if you were on a spam list, there was no, there was no such thing as opt out or opt in. Like you were just, you're going to continue getting these emails and there's nothing you can do to stop it. In fact, that was, it used to be one of the big cases where people would actually have to go make a new email address, Mm -hmm. um, because they quite simply couldn't get away from the spam that, that some of their original email addresses got, got hit into. So it's, it's a lot, again, it's an old problem of which you're probably too young to remember these days. No, Um, here's here, this will show my age, but my first workplace had a fax machine and you got spam via fax like people would just send your fax machine advertising that you didn't want or care about and this is what i think a great analogy of how much better digital systems are right like sure the first email clients were completely inundated with spam and we couldn't you know that was like yeah i get a new address but we've solved for that we've solved for it very well because mm-hmm. digital tools enable us to yeah program around these types of things and so similarly with blockchain right we'll be able to program around doxing attacks around um dusting attacks around all those sorts of things because there's always a solution right if you can if you can think of it you can program it and there'll be solutions there which is what makes the space so exciting and what makes it yeah something that i just love to be involved in i love that i love that so Janine, absolutely fabulous conversation. I mean, really love just kind of getting into kind of your thought process, and this is you, um, you know, in and around Web3, blockchain, and cryptocurrencies of kind of what's needed to happen over the next couple decades. I mean, none of this is going to happen fast. And, and same as you, uh, you're closing in on on a decade in the industry at this point now um, as, as you kind of come into it. And I'm sure you never never thought in, in those first few years, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take 15 to 20 years for this asset class to mature. And, and that's really where it's looking to be. And so with that kind of thought in mind, um, that we are still early and that we are still young, how, how would you, without financial advice, you know, how should people be thinking um, about cryptocurrencies today? 
So I think where we're at today is probably um, we're still in a relatively speculative phase. And so I'll sort of separate crypto into you've got utility and use cases, which is probably what you know many of us got involved for. What I'm really passionate about is what these things can actually do real world, how you can use them, how they can make your lives better. Um, that's sort of more when we talk about the mainstreaming. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still quite solidly in most cryptocurrency transactions are around speculation. That's the reason why most people get involved and looking for, um, you know, looking for a return on their investment. So for people wanting to get involved and that being their driver, which, you know, I think that is really the primary driver at the moment. I'd say there's probably a couple of things that you can look at in terms of how you go about that. The first one is that key role of finance of diversification. And of course, as you said, this is not financial advice. This is just generic discussion around the type of strategy that I employ myself. So firstly, diversification into cryptocurrencies and asset class. So, you know, you want to put 100% of your wealth into crypto, but also don't put 0% in. Find somewhere in the middle. And, you know, a lot of studies have shown 5 to 10% is a good amount. I'm personally a lot closer towards the higher end of that 100% spectrum. But, you know, your mileage will vary. But find a, a portion of your assets that you think is the right amount to put into crypto and then diversify within cryptocurrency as well. So don't just chuck it all in one project, one protocol. Probably look at, you know, maybe a couple of things at the top end of town, your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, your kind of higher... Um, the ones that have been around for a while that have, re you know, really good reputation and really good mana. And then maybe a couple of like more fringe projects or things that you're personally interested in. Like say, if you're into gaming, there's a whole lot of gaming tokens that might be interesting. Or if you're into um, art, look at NFTs, look at different things that perhaps appeal to you as an investor and diversify across those. And the last thing I'd say is that one of the really, um, really well-employed and really sort of proven strategies is called dollar cost averaging, which instead of trying to buy in at the low of the market, you just sort of buy little bits that, you know, maybe every week or every month you're buying consistently into the market. Um, and that just gives you a nice sort of average across the ups and downs of the markets. It doesn't matter where crypto is on any particular day, you're just averaging out the ups and downs. And that's a really well-proven strategy that, um, you know, manages to, you know, leave the concerns about time in the market at the door. It's a lot less effort and stress, but it actually works out well in the long run. And I personally have just started doing dollar cost averaging myself. I've been more of a, a buyer and hodler, um, but this year in the last few months, I've sort of decided that the market's at a place where it's good for me to finally get into that, that drip feed auto buy strategy. So I am now a, a dollar cost average um, convert myself. I love that. I love that. So just to help expand on this a little bit more, and I think it's it's helpful for people to kind of think about, okay, so the, there's an asset class um, called cryptocurrencies. Now, now there's about all these subcategories. And, you know, I, I'm sure that you guys at an easy crypto kind of, you know, do do your best to educate. Um, but, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I like level zeros and level ones. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't do level twos and I, I specifically don't do level twos for a reason. I also don't do don't do DeFi protocols for a reason, but I do uh, invest in utility tokens or utility NFTs um, that do have perceived values around communities and everything else. Um, you know, any thoughts around around what I'm what I'm up to? Um, I would love to know why you don't invest in uh, level threes, like what? Or sorry, level twos. Like, what's your um, what's your thesis there that that's a blanket no? You know, it, the investments I'm making are over a five to ten year period. <clears throat> you know, and and so while I do trade a little bit back and forth on and off of it. Um, I, Level one is is there. I mean, you, they have it for a variety of reasons. Level twos have uh, whether you've ever heard this term or not. Sherlock, um, Apple Sherlocked a, a company years ago with a product called Einstein, um, meaning that they literally just quite simply said, "You know what? That's a great thing that you're doing." Um, and it was a third party third party company, and Apple just said, "You know what?" And then the next release release of their their OS just mm -hmm. built that in and entirely just disconnected a product. And a lot of what level twos right now are doing is solving the issues of that level ones have with scaling. Yeah. Um, Ethereum is saying they're not going to solve that 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 scaling issue. That's what they're saying today. Um, you know, and and people are building protocols around there. So it's it's there's nothing wrong. I think I think Polygon and and a lot of these other ones are doing some amazing things. Uh, zk rollups are are fascinating technology that are going to continue to evolve. Um, but are they going to be around in a decade? You know, are you going to need them once once you kind of solve some of these scaling issues after you've gone through another few iterations of it? And and again, in the short term, yes, uh, you do need them. In the long term, you know, it's that's just my personal philosophy, and it helps me narrow down that I'm yeah. only looking at a certain protocols because you can only keep so many things in your mind. And I, I see a lot of really bad portfolios where there's just a smattering of of no consistency. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different approach, right? Like you could take the spray and pray approach. And I have to admit, I was a little bit guilty of that in 2017. This is why Alan decided to automate it. Cause I was just like, can I have a little bit of that, a little bit of that and a little bit of that. I'm a more, <laughs> I think I'm a more mature investor now. I sort of have a few things that I, I really stick to. So I dollar cost average into Bitcoin and ETH. Um, and then I might, you know, buy a chunk into a project, but like you, I take a long-term view. Like I'm, you know, I just don't have the time or energy to be actively trading. So I'll buy projects that I think have long-term potential. Maybe they win, maybe they don't. It's a bit like, you know, venture capital investing, right? You know, you, you sort of take a punt on a few things and hope that one pays for your whole portfolio. But with everything that I'm buying, and again, this is just my personal approach because of the time that I have to invest in my investments, it's very much a buy something and hold it for a couple of years. So I think, you know, your, your, your um, thesis on, on those, um, the different layers makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think for people who are more active and, you know, can be more involved in, okay, is, you know, is this particular pro problem that this coin is solving going to be solved by the, the base layer, you know, in the next little while, in which case this coin's not going to have value. Yeah. Uh, or, or might even be consumed. Like, you know, there's, there's interesting ways that these things might eventuate that, you know, again, with crypto as a whole, I think there's a lot of, um, optionality that we haven't yet seen in a lot of ways that the space might evolve but it's it's good to have your own investment thesis and stick to it because it does help you narrow it down and it's a crazy world out there there's like how many thousand tokens at the moment i i'm not even sure but you need some way to filter through them so there was probably 10 new ones created while we were on this this podcast so easily Easily, um, Janine. I did fabulous conversation. Really, it's it's amazing. Every time you and I get to talk, uh, you know, I'm always just kind of blown away by your depth uh, and outlook on on kind of the overall industry. Um, what's the best way for someone who's interested in easy crypto? They're in one of the the countries of which is allowed uh, to to you know go ahead and find you guys and learn more. And and if they have uh, any other questions for you, where where can they find you? Yeah. So um, our website's easycrypto.com. Nice and easy. Um, uh, traditional spelling of all that for anyone that's not here to see the um, actual words behind me. Um, and for me, I'm on uh, Telegram um, and on Twitter, Janine underscore EC on Twitter, Janine C on Telegram. And I can't even remember what I am on Discord, but I am in the Y Wales Discord. So if you're a member of that, I, you hit me up there. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Why Wills, uh, fabulous conversation today with uh, Janine from Easy Crypto. I think it's always amazing when you get to talk to the people that are full-time in the business, uh, been in the business for a long time, and actually helping to adopt and educate uh, the masses into, into this asset class that we all know and love so much. So Janine, thank you so much for coming by. Why Whalers, we will see you guys next time. Be good. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.